All good, good mate. Yeah, all good. Right. Right. Nine minutes. Okay, yeah, you got to be off at quarter to yeah. All right. Dad duty. Excellent. Uh, right. um, cool. Somebody introduce Aaron then. Sam. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Sam. Sam, you... Since you're our most popular guest on the podcast, why don't you oh. intro this guy? <laughs> uh, right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, welcome to another episode of the Gym Talks podcast. Today we have a guy who I have absolutely no idea who he is until about five minutes ago, Mr. Aaron. How are we? Aaron, what is even... Oh, Aaron Davis, that's it. There we are. <laughs> Aaron, how are we? Ravage. <laughs> oh, professional. Professional, <laughs> boys. That's how we do it around here. Best intro ever. Oh, excellent. Well, mate, if that hasn't really sort of like, you know, boosted your fucking ego, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, they turn around to you guys like, who the fuck is this? Oh, can I swear on this? Absolutely. Mate, yeah. there's a... Do you know what the title of the podcast is? encouraged. Right, okay. Aaron, why don't you introduce yourself? Because Sam's done a terrible job for the for the Sam tens, barely knows who he is. For the tens of <laughs> listeners that don't know who you are, and for Sam who doesn't know who you are, uh, <laughs> tell us a bit about yourself. What do you do? Um, what do you hate? What's the most twattish thing you've ever done in the gym? That's the most important question to start with. Is what makes the most twattish thing I've ever done in the gym? Um, oh God. You've put me on the spot here and now I can't think of anything. I have a very high opinion of myself. I don't know if I've ever done anything twattish in a gym. Did you not just tie a pillow to like Dr. Mike's ankles? I will have you know, I have impeccable standards. I have never done anything remotely embarrassing in the gym. Um, Other than than being on this podcast. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, but if it makes you feel any better... I was very nervous before logging onto this, so I, I did bang a couple of ashwagandha and beta alanines. Um, they've not fit in quite yet, but you know, I put myself down as you know that, that will be my my uh, volunteering in terms of twattishness. Why were you nervous? Oh, just uh, public speaking, and also um, I was a bit nervous getting to meet uh, Sam. Actually, I've heard uh, <laughs> wonderful things about him, and um, you know. Well, mate, what can I say? The honour is all mine. The honour is all mine. That's all I'm going to say. I'm wearing a black T-shirt, so you can't see my armpits. <laughs> Makes sense. The three of us are wearing black. We're all nervous. We're all nervous. <laughs> We're all nervous. There we go. Then how's that? How's that for an introduction? I probably should have planned something, but I'm just your run of the mill meathead PT, um, and I'm happy to be here. Cheers for the invite. You're welcome. Well, I describe just... Aaron as Rich 2.0. Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> You're both like massive and jacked. Speak quite posh. You love <laughs> deadlifting, squatting, and benching. I think we're posh, are we, Rich? Oh, one wouldn't say so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, we speak the Queen's English, and apparently, unless you talk like Danny Dyer, that makes you posh. So I know. But hey, well, look, I think um, just say of someone who has obviously followed you uh, for quite a while, you are very 
much the opposite of a run-of-the-mill PT. And I think you have quite a um, an interesting aspect on the way that you approach things and a very um, a very common sense approach that is unfortunately quite rare in this industry. And I think it's one of the reasons that I've, I've one of the reasons I certainly gravitated towards your page. And so um, I think it'd be quite interesting for listeners to sort of take us through kind of your journey from like getting your PT qualification and then sort of progressing to the trainer you are now and how you came across and developed your, your kind of format and your, um, your ways of doing things. Oh, um, oh, thank you very much. <laughs> um, I mean, I've sort of always been naturally quite bossy. And so even before I was a PT, I was that, I was that guy who every personal trainer hates. So me and my mates would go to the, the gym and I would tell them what to do and tell them what not to do. And the personal trainers and fitness instructors would sort of come over to me and go, hey, you probably should be giving out that information. You know, you're just 16 years old, you don't know what you're talking about. So I always sort of wanted to be a coach of some sort. Um, I don't know if that meant owning a facility, being a personal trainer, whatever it might be, but always wanted to be involved in fitness in some way. Um, I think I kind of got into it for two reasons, and they're slightly different maybe to what most how most people start out. Josh, you may... Do you know the band Black Label Society, Josh? Of course I do. I've seen them live a few no. times. Is that wild? Bit of a... Yes. Yeah, I, I don't think you've been a metalhead. I used to be a bit of a metalhead, and my favourite band at the time was Black Label Society, and their lead guy, Zach Wilde, had jacked arms. Yes. <laughs> and so at the time, I was trying to play guitar. I wasn't very good at it. Um, but I was like, I want to be like that guy. So I went to the gym and did like shrugs and curls for about six months um so that's a bit of a fascist thing literally did shrugs and curls four times a week uh and then I, other than that i just found that going to the gym i was dealing with some real debilitating knee pain playing a lot of basketball um mostly my folks anytime i had free i was playing basketball at school in like doc martins on concrete awful knee pain and i found that doing some weight training actually allowed me to keep training so the, the gym for me has always been sort of secondary to sport, whether that was basketball, rugby, jujitsu. Um, and so I think that's really how it's always been influenced. Um, you know, I, I, I think, I think in, 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 in a fine enough way, I always wanted to be a coach for athletes. I almost always saw myself as a strength and conditioning coach, even though I've got no interest in working in sport but I've sort of found a way of tricking people into turning up to the gym and doing personal training sessions where I sort of treat them a bit like an athlete, if you will. So we're getting them stronger, getting them fitter, getting them moving well. Um, and I think my background has always been on that side of things uh, rather than the more traditional sort of, you know, body composition or being influenced from like a, a bodybuilding physique perspective. Um, and I think, I think that sort of got really set in my mind when I was about 17 or 18 and everyone else sort of shot off to Bali um, and Australia, New Zealand, went traveling. I went to, uh, do you guys know like DeFranco's gym? Yeah, yeah. 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 When, I was, when I was 17, 18, I, I spent two, two months or so over in America. I was like, cool, I finished college. I want to be involved in fitness some way. And at the time, before YouTube was a big thing, Joe DeFranco was uploading... 60 inch vertical jumps of his guys on like a Nokia 3310 to YouTube. 
Um, like before YouTube was a thing, Joe DeFranco was the guy. And I was like, I'm going to go out there and I'm just going to train. I'm going to sit in this gym and ask those questions. Um, and I guess that sort of sparked it off. Came back, did the normal qualification stuff. Um, but I still can't get away from lifting heavy weights, draping chains around clients um, and, and, and doing stupid shit like strongman exercises. I'm, I'm rambling. I'm rambling. Does, does that sort of make sense? That's a cool story. Yeah, I, I, like I didn't know you went to, to DeFranco's gym. Who hands up? I make a point of wearing the vest that I got from there as often as possible. <laughs> um, you don't have to scroll through many Instagram posts. I'm like, what this? <laughs> Virtual hands up. Who here at some point did the DeFranco 8 warm up? Yes. Yes. Everyone did. Yeah. We all did it. <laughs> what, about, what about West Side for Skinny Bastards? Does anyone remember that? Yeah, we all did that. <laughs> we've all done it i remember the, the defranco eight and it was like again it was a t-nation thing of course yes ultimate mobility session you're going to be bulletproof in in weeks do this foam roller warm-up joe defranco's come up with it he's the man look how massive he is it's gonna work he's, a, he's an interesting guy like i remember i came across him because at the time, um, Alex Corbosiero, um, who's a uh, rugby player, um, he was he went over to the states uh, to train with DeFranco in the off season. I think at the time, he was trying to make line selection, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and I remember watching some of the the sessions that he was doing with him. And that was a big thing. Like again, came across that on YouTube, and that's kind of how I got into watching Joe DeFranco stuff and the stuff that he does with those like freak NFL players. It's just always, it's fun to watch freaks lift weights. He is an animal. Yeah. Something about NFL players that annoys me is how massive and strong they are, yet how quick and agile they are at the same time. You've yeah. got like three 300 pound like linebackers that could literally like do you on a on a sixpence and you're just like the fuck can a guy that big move that fast <laughs> was, um, on, uh, on, on Saturdays sorry Ben I'm done oh sorry uh, on, <laughs> on Saturdays they used to do like a, a strongman circuit and so during the week you turn up with just your little group so I was in a, a group of similar guys my sort of age but you'd have the pro guys come in on Saturday and joining the strongman circuit. So there'd be like tire flips here and sled drags there. And you'd move around in your group. And over the other side of the car park, you'd have like, you know, you would have struggled with this tire to get one. And then Brian Cushing turns up and he just looks at it and it like flips over. Sort of like, you're looking at these pro athlete groups. They're only like a few years older and you're like, Jesus Christ, what an, like, it's like they're not even trying. You're like dragging this sled. It takes you like a minute to get there. And they're just sort of like talk, having a chat with their mates, like tricep extending this 200 kilogram sled across the floor. It was, I, I, I think for me, I went out there and initially the first week, I was quite disappointed because I thought it was going to be like next level complexity, technical stuff. And it was really quite simple. And the first week I was a bit disappointed. I was like, oh, I was expecting a bit more than this. And then I sort of realized, especially afterwards, so actually that was the whole point, like training with a, 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 a group of, sort of your peers who are, who are similar age, similar, you know, strength levels, and everyone's pushing each other. 
just turning up five days a week and it was nothing crazy or complicated it was just the simple stuff done savagely well and I think that sort of you know like Richie talked about like a, a almost like a fundamentals common sense approach like these guys are getting crazy results and I know there's obviously a lot of nuance to everything and there's a lot more to it but what really sort of set in my mind well decades ago now probably is was just how these guys were crazy strong crazy big and it wasn't complicated it was just everyone wanted to outperform the person that had just gone before them, if that makes sense. And sometimes that's detrimental, but when you've got everyone sort of rough on the same playing field, it just brought out the best in everyone. Yeah. I remember, I remember years ago being on the, the college uh, rugby team and it was, it was an academy back then. So it was, I, I, I think um, they wanted to, try and make the the college rugby team like a very like big professional outfit uh when I was at college so we had the rugby academy and we had an SNC coach and we had SNC like scheduled in SNC sessions at the gym like etc and I remember you know when we all started up their SNC coach was like right forwards here's your program back row here's your program you know centers wingers here are your programs go follow them and because everyone in similar positions was following the same program it got ultra competitive like you'd be you know you'd be like right okay I've got four sets of six on the bench here like what did you do last week cool sweet stick another two and a half kilos on I'm, I'm gonna beat that I'm not gonna let you beat me it got ultra competitive and my word was the form sloppy but you just, <laughs> you just, you just couldn't <laughs> let your mate beat you you just couldn't let you make it. Same at university as well. I was probably the strongest I've ever been at uni. It was riddled with injuries, but I was the strongest I had ever been. Probably- yeah, I was, I was, I was going to say, I think I worked the hardest when I was university training with someone who was a bit stronger than me. Just because I was like, well, they're at this stage. I need to get there. And it did not matter like how you did the exercise as long as you got the number. It's all that mattered. Love it. But you're <laughs> also, you've also got an unreal engine because I think we've kind of just... Uh, glossed over the fact that you've just done yeah. marathons in seven days on a rowing machine. <laughs> that's quite... Uh, that's quite Sam, Sam's like, did he? Did, 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 did he did tell me? <laughs> you just made light work of that fact. What the fuck? Sorry? You just made light work of that. So what did you do on the rowing machine? Sorry, let, let me just go over that again. What, what did you do? Um... Uh... A, a few friends and I did a um, little charity event where we did a marathon every day, seven days in a row. On the river. What? Not that hard, Sam. Come on. Yeah, come on, mate. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's just jet, like, just light work, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I did 2K on the rowing machine the other day. My ass was in pieces. <laughs> yeah, I quite, I, I did um, 10K on a Concept 2 bike. And of course, because the Concept 2 screens are identical, uh, a lot of people like messaged me on Instagram thinking that I had rode um, 10k in like under 20 minutes, <laughs> and I was just like, "No, nah, not a chance." <laughs> I mean, I appreciate that people thought I was capable of it, but it was definitely uh, definitely not the case. So, uh, tell us, like, how did that? Where did the idea for that come from? And uh, tell us how that came about. Um... It's not like in every you know most people will run a marathon or will do a row, but like to row a marathon is quite an interesting uh, concept. 
I think it, it came about because there was a few of us who were sort of, uh, we, we created a little mini rowing group during lockdown. Um, so I had a row in the sheds and two of the other guys um, have both been to the British Indoor Rowing Championships, whatever it's called, like the previous years. So I played rugby with them and um, it was just more of an accountability thing. We'd put some workouts up in the group and we'd have a little bit of a race and it got obviously mega competitive and serious very quickly. And then eventually one of the guys who's a bit like an English middle-class version of David Goggins um, just said, we should do something stupid um, like for, for, for charity, you know, cause we are putting all this effort in to beat each other. Let's, you know, do something of a bit more value with all the hard work we've been putting in. So he said, we should either do a 24 hour row or seven marathons in seven days. And I said, I'm not doing a 24-hour row. And he went, okay, we'll do the other one. And that was it. Um, in fact, there's texts there's text back and forth me going like, no, I didn't agree to that. And he's like, yeah, no, but you said you weren't going to do this one, so this one. So at the rugby club, one of the managers who we all sort of, you know, I don't play rugby anymore, but he was a kit manager, um, organised a lot of the team stuff. He worked for a, a charity. So one of the guys approached him and said, you know, the boys would love to do something for charity. We really like what you do. Uh, Hounds for Heroes. They provide like service dogs for injured uh, veterans uh, from the armed forces or from the emergency services uh, you know this is what we'd like to do and that, that was about it really and then we had about two months two and a half months um, to train for it and yeah and it coincided nicely with gyms reopening so the last few days we all sort of got to do them together and then on the very last day we all sort of had a bit of a race um, and wanted to sell PBs. And again, that got pretty nasty. And like you said, 2K on a row is bad enough on your bum. Three hours a day, seven days in a row, it gets it gets, oh. it gets dark. How many tubs of pseudo cream have you been through? <laughs> He's sat on one right now. Yeah. <laughs> it's a hemorrhoid pillow, isn't it? I finished two weeks ago. <laughs> Um, yeah, it, it, it's miserable. Like everyone's suffering different ways. Like my hands have only just started recovering. We stopped about two and a half weeks ago. So my hand, uh, my right hand's been bleeding for about two weeks. Um, oh, so is so mine. Got blisters in weird areas. <laughs> and the worst, the very worst bit about it is that on the last day, one of the guys uh, and I had like a bit of a race. So we had a little idea for how we wanted to attack it. We were going to get to 5K left together and then it was a race to finish line. And he beat me by three strokes. And at the time I was, you know, very gracious, like, hey, well done, you earned it. And on paper, he's better than me. Like he's taller than me, he's got much, but like for the amount of the amount of blisters I've got on my hand and my ass, to miss out by three strokes, it has um it's gotten to me. It's hard. Yeah, that that would that again. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, that, that was it. Just no, I love it, mate. That's brilliant. Good stuff. So you seem to have like a lot of um like you sort of you seem to like setting yourself a challenge or like you like having a sort of a character chase. So it seems like coming from what I see on your uh, socials. Um talk us through that. What's what's that about? I, th- I think I think again for me the gym has always been a way to I mean in part there's obviously that aesthetic or there's always that aesthetic part where, you know, I like the idea of building muscles and filling out a t-shirt, but it's almost always been a way to fuel a hobby or a sport. So when I first started playing rugby, I came from basketball, really skinny, really lanky kid. And I was like, well, I want to play rugby now. 
Um, I just need to hit the gym and bulk up as much as possible. With jiu-jitsu, it's always been a way of, right, you know, I, I want to actually lose a bit of weight, get a bit more flexible, a bit more mobile, retain my strength. Um, and I think I've always been fascinated by the performance side of things. So, so one of the things that just hooked me with the rower is that straight away, I can see exactly what my scores are. I can see exactly what these other guys' scores were. And I can see that if my training's doing well, it's going to change. And it's, there's almost like no, there's very little subjectivity about it. Um, and I think in part, and it's the same thing I say to my clients, I'm sure many of you are the same, like to an extent, I don't think, I don't think the goals we choose matter, but I think having a goal matters in the sense of if all of a sudden I've got to work towards this marathon or I've got to get stronger for jujitsu or, or I just want to do something really random, like pick up a certain weight, all of a sudden I've got that accountability and focus to get to it. And so I just, I just, I've just always, always have something to do. If that makes sense. Like right now it's to improve my vertical jump, not because I'm going to get, you know, not because I'm going to play basketball, I just want to do it. And so everything I do is driven towards that. Um, but that's it really. I think it's just more, I'm occupying my brain. There's no real meaning or deeper, <laughs> deeper meaning to it. I, I, th I think we definitely don't emphasize like performance-based goals as much as we actually should. Um, I, that might be because like Instagram is a very visual based kind of platform where a lot of coaches kind of work within physique, body composition, but yeah, like you, you need to have like some sort of performance-based goal. They're, they're also way more fun. Like actually achieving them is like, it's so more, like even if it's something as simple as like a loaded carry with an awkward weight, it doesn't need to be like a bench press. It needs to be just something that you can't do, and you just go, okay, I, I, I like subjects, so objects, and I can't do this, and I need to progress so I to to a point where I can. That's it. Mm. Yeah, well, I think a lot of uh, gen general population clients, for example, don't have perform they don't have performance based goals, and it can be quite difficult to set them. Hmm. Yeah. So I've, got a, I've got a girl starting with me uh, on Friday who wants to drop body fat. I think performance-based goals are a great thing because it, it's uh, if your goal is, say, like fat loss, for example, that can be quite far away. And so you have to have goals in the middle and other things to progress towards so that that outcome doesn't seem so far away because then you'll constantly be trying to work towards it at a much faster rate than what is actually achievable. So I think pro like process-based and performance-based goals are really important. But something I sometimes struggle with, with general population clients, is if we say, cool, let's set a performance-based goal, they're like, well, what, uh, what, what, like, what, you tell me, like, what should I aim for? <laughs> and I'm like, you know, I don't want to put my views onto a client because they're my views. I want a guide. Do you struggle with that? Um, I think I think I have found that oftentimes they crop up naturally. So much like what you were saying, I wouldn't force them on people. So it's not like I'm standing in the gym being like, excellent, what are we going to do now? You know, and force that decision upon them. Because like I say, for most people, it's, it maybe has never crossed their mind. But maybe during a session, they sort of really click with an exercise or they go, how much of that bar weight that I just squatted? And I go, oh, that's, that's 40 kilos of the bar. Well, suddenly you can see that that kind of means something to them. And then maybe the next session I go, hey, have you ever, you know, you kind of, you seem, you seem to click when I said, oh, that was 40 kilos. They're like, yeah, that seems like a lot of weight. And I was like, well, how about we 
aim for 60 in the next couple of months. Um, or for instance, with some of my online clients who have been back to gyms now, I've sort of said to them, look, all you've done during lockdown for conditioning stuff is you've been for a jog, you've been for a run, you've done some bodyweight stuff at home. I was like, have a go on some of the cardio machines, see if there's one you really like, and we'll do a couple of tests, and maybe, maybe, maybe down the line, we'll come up with something tangible for you to, um, for you to sort of focus on. I think naturally, because of the sort of the content I put out, I tend to attract people, especially the online clients that are going to push for that strength and fitness stuff anyway. Cause I don't do, I don't post like body composition stuff. That's, that's not my, not my thing. If someone approached me and asked me about that, I'd probably refer them to someone else. So the people I do tend to work with, they're like, no, I want to get stronger. I want to get fitter. And all of a sudden they test their 5k and it's 32 minutes. And they'll get back to me and say, I want to do sub 30 minutes. And then I go, fantastic that's our that's our next that's our next task so i find oftentimes it, it just happens naturally um even something as weird as like they'll do they'll do a bit on the assault bike we got i bought up one of the chunky bulldog air bikes for the gym mm. and so someone's doing a bit on that and they're like oh god it took me five minutes to get two kilometers other than pull it up top of my head and they go i want to do that in less than that and yeah. so, so just pick up on that. And that might be something we achieve next week. It might be something we achieve in six months' time. Um, but I've always found that eventually you can sort of see a little spark in people's eye where you're like, they kind of like the idea of doing a bit better at that. Does that sort of make sense? Yeah, yeah. that makes a lot of sense. And, it, and also you can frame it a certain way. Like the fat loss is a perfect example. If I sort of say to someone, hey, look, we can use press-ups as a sort of a metric to measure progress because if you're getting stronger and losing body fat, you're going to be a bit lighter chances are you're going to get better at push-ups and get better at chin-ups so all of a sudden they're like focusing on how many push-ups i can do because in their mind obviously because i've said that perhaps you know in their mind they're thinking well that means i'm getting leaner it probably does it's just that like you say oftentimes we can find a way to get an extra push-up in do a bit better in terms of performance even if the scale weight is a bit fickle or you know it's bad lighting you don't feel so great in the mirror I think that's a really interesting approach because um, I've, I've personally always found that a sense of progression is the best motivator for clients. And when they feel like they're achieving something and they're just gain, making those just incremental gains and in progress session by session, because uh, chasing a body comp goal, you're not going to be weighing yourself every single session. So it can, I think for some clients, it can be discouraging. And if they're at the sort of mercy of a weight fluctuation, it can actually be really discouraging if they're not seeing that weight on the scale go down. But if you have a performance-based goal, like you mentioned there, and, you know, if you're adding a press up each session or something like that, or, you know, I think it's really encouraging for clients. And um, I think it's a really good approach to get people just out of that always kind of, how do I look? I've also, yeah, I've also found, especially recently, when I do have clients uh, that I say are also doing sort of like body composition stuff to an extent, it can be a bit disheartening if all of a sudden you wake up and you don't feel like you look as good as you did the day before. Or like you say, you get a bit of fluctuation scale weight. And I'll get that, I'll get a message and it'll say, you know, I'm a bit concerned or this has happened. And we know as coaches that body weight fluctuations are perfectly normal. You're going to have days where you might feel a bit bloated. Maybe it's a bit of dodgy lighting, but if you can say to them, Hey, look, you know, at this time it's, you know, if you can remind yourself of how far you've come in terms of your performance, like remember how good it felt in the gym when you lifted that new weight, remember how good it felt when you got 
if you did X, Y, or Z. And I think along the same sort of lines, that can sort of keep them on path rather than sort of like throwing it, throwing the toys out the pram and being like, right, panic mode. You know, I'm going to just crash diet for the next couple of days and get back on track. They're like, oh no, actually, yeah, there are a lot of things going well. Even this, even if there's one or two little things I'm a bit disappointed with, perfectly natural, we know at that stage, they can sort of reflect back on all the good stuff going on in terms of their physical performance. Does that sort of make sense? Yeah. Yeah. It's just a reminder of that sometimes. It's been like, hey, look, so what you've got half a pound on this week. I can smash an extra 20 kilos on the deadlift. You're running faster. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Like, yeah, yeah, I'm like, cool. If you keep training hard, stick with the process, the other stuff will happen. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I really like that approach. That's very sensible. So like when, when you're sort of like talk us through your kind of like your how you sort of do your goal setting with clients and um, you know how you no know, how would you sort of you know go about working with a client to help them pick a performance based goal just so like listeners here are thinking that you know oh this is quite a novel idea it's something I'd like to you know do like give, what, what advice would you give for any listeners who want to pick a performance based goal I think and I think the first step is always when I'm having a chat with someone. Again, I'm sure it's the same for, um, for for most of PTs, online coaches. You sort of want to nail down what really matters to them eventually. You know, you always get that surface level answer. And then you sort of ask them again and say, well, come on, where does that matter? And then oftentimes I'll find that they tend to lean into, say, a certain, uh, a certain training modality, if you will. Sometimes it's just about getting them in the gym and then they just they just find something that they want to push on with. Or I'll just I'll just sort of maybe put it in the back of their minds like, oh hey, I saw you really smashed this the rower today and you managed this number. That's really good. Have you considered trying to do X, Y, or Z? I think I think in real in reality, most of my clients, unless they come to me with a very specific goal, we don't actually have one for the first couple of weeks. Um, which sounds a bit counterintuitive. I always say to people, the first two weeks when I'm working with them, it's just about getting them in the gym, training consistently, um, getting them confident with their movements, and just trying to do a little bit more each time. And then if they can manage that for the first two weeks with you know some support and accountability, we will then put some longer plans, you know, goals in place, um, which sounds a bit counterintuitive. Um, but if someone comes to me and they haven't got a particular goal, the last thing I want to do to extend is be like, well, we're not doing anything until you've picked one. Um, sometimes they do. Sometimes people approach me and they're like, I want, you know, one of the guys I'm working with is like, I want to run a marathon. I'm like, cool, well, that's that's literally all we're going to focus on, obviously. Is that some Dex? Yeah, yeah, Dex doing that. So and some people just go, I want to get a bit stronger, a bit fitter. I'm like, cool, we'll, we'll do that to start with. And then maybe they really like an exercise. They come back and go, wow, I haven't done trap bar before. That was really cool. I'd like to get stronger at it. And then we just have that conversation and we, we pick something reasonable. Um, but I think, I think, like you said, a lot of times, especially on things like Instagram, it's very visual, isn't it? And, and oftentimes I think when, when I first chat with people, that's their, that sometimes is their only impression of what training can, can be for, which is absolutely fine. If, if that's your deal and that's what you want, that's absolutely, I completely understand that. I think sometimes people just like you say aren't aware that it's also an option to want to run a 5k faster um and oftentimes if you give them that bit of freedom you know i'll just say you know no initial training block go and do 20 minutes of cardio i don't care what it is 
I won't obviously put it like that. But <laughs> do what you want. I'll be, be like, hey, go in the gym, pick a cardio machine, and just have a go for 20 minutes and see what happens. And naturally, they're going to gravitate towards one which they like doing or that they think they might like doing. And then eventually, they might go, actually, I'm getting it like, like you were saying, Rich, after you did the concept two on the bike. You were saying, oh, I've got a bit of a buzz from that. Like, left the gym, yeah. and the birds were singing, um, a, bit, a bit of euphoria. And I'm like, yeah, it's pretty cool, is it? Like, yeah, it's really cool. I was like, now let's make it horrible. And, and really push it. Uh, and that brings a dampener down the situation. Um, nice. Yeah, sorry, that's a bit, 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 bit of a ramble. Um, yeah, cool. I, like I did my first um, RTS Integra course with Becklum. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. yeah good. But I like that. It's different. It's like what you do is obviously very different to how me, Josh, Sam work. Like you, you and Rich are fairly similar, but I always really enjoy the conversations that you and I have around it. Because even though, yeah. let's just say our training styles are completely different, the kind of the underlying principles remain the same, um, which is something that you portray very well when you speak on your social media, where you're very much so. You know, the body is super resilient. And it can deal with a lot of shit. It's not going to break as soon as you go a millimetre outside of an active range, for example. But at the same time, when you see squat university shit uh, being put on, you're like, that's wrong. <laughs> like, like that is, that's terrible. Don't listen to that. Dogmatic like, is the word I would use. Yeah, dogmatic. <laughs> I like the word shit. Um, so for listeners, we're in this we're referencing a post that a very popular Instagram page put out recently that said that listed five exercises and said these are exercises you must do if you want to progress in the gym. And it said that because they would help um, fix imbalances. And uh, this is something, um, yeah, that, that thing. <laughs> so this is something I think I like. <laughs> well, for, for, for anyone who, who obviously is listening, Ben has just held up the Squat Bible book and um, Aaron has kind of started vomiting and, you know, melting at the... <laughs> so this is something that is a particular annoyance uh, because... This, this um, installs what I call a fragility mindset into people in that if they are not doing things picture perfect, they will get injured. And uh, it's something that I think is really damaging to people, especially those who are looking to get into the gym and who are wanting to train is that, um, I mean, Aaron, talk us through your sort of, um, you don't have to rinse anyone the way that we do. We're quite happy to name and shame other people are far more dignified than we are, but um, what's it's not like, hard, talk us through kind of your, you know, your approach in that um, sort of obviously why you disagree with it and sort of your, how you would approach that. I think, I think when you have, I think everyone has, has a responsibility um, in terms of the content they're putting out. And when you have a very large following, I think there is an emphasis on probably having, you know, you're more responsible and have to almost be a bit more careful of what you're saying. And I think it's also fair to say that oftentimes people can say things from a good place and it can be misinterpreted. You know, 
people aren't always great readers or listeners. And so it's very easy, I think, to say one thing and, and, and have it misinterpreted. And I know that I've done that with things like Ben's put out and I've dropped into his DMs and go, oh, actually, I kind of disagree with that a little bit. And then we have a bit of back and forth. I'm like, oh, actually, we agreed all along. I just jumped to conclusions or... So I think the issue though lies in, as you sort of said, when you're giving out very, very specific information uh, to a big audience and it, like you said, sort of nocebos people into believing certain things. Um, if people are giving out general guidelines and it's like, hey, look, most people could do with being a bit fitter and stronger, so go to the gym, it's awesome. Like, no, no, one's, no one's kicking off about that. Like, being general can be very positive sometimes. But when you've got an audience of like one and a half million people, you're saying, if you do this, you will get hurt. Don't do this. Not only does, from my understanding of a lot of the literature, not only is that not true, so it's just, you know, what you're saying is completely wrong anyway. But as you sort of said, it, it, it gives people this impression that something that something that is very, very beneficial to your health and well-being is also very dangerous. And something that really resonated to me in a podcast I listened to maybe like a year ago or something like that was this, this guy I was talking about. And he said, as a fitness professional, my first role is to lower the barrier of entry into fitness. So if I'm putting stuff up on Instagram that is stopping people from doing exercise, I've failed at the first hurdle. You know, I failed at the first step. If we're putting up stuff, if, if someone's putting up something that's saying like, hey, don't do this exercise, and that's the only exercise someone knows, they're not going to do anything. If we put up stuff that's overly like making people think that they're fragile, we know that that can have an effect on potentially injury and, and, and pain sensitivity because they're anticipating getting hurt, they're anticipating that. And, and, and the current literature, from my understanding, says that that's as big of a component as the actual injury itself, especially long term. And so if we're telling people all these sorts of, you know, falsehoods, which aren't just wrong, but are also going to put them in a bad position, then, you know, Joe Bloggs goes to the gym and doesn't do all these different exercises because Mr. S University has said you shouldn't do them. Um, or he doesn't do any exercise because the only exercises he thinks he should be doing are super complicated and he doesn't know what they are. Then that's one person that we put off from exercising going to the gym. Um, and and I, th I think that for me is something that really, really gets me. I know everyone on, on Instagram and on social media has their thing. Like I don't comment on nutrition because in the grand scheme of things, I don't know much about nutrition. Like the, the bare basics I can get by. I don't, can't tell you about chrononutrition and binge eating disorders. So I don't touch that sort of stuff. But having a background and having a lot of experience in terms of being an injury, being in pain and seeing how positive going to the gym can be and how resilient people are, when I see people online potentially putting people off or putting up barriers, being like, don't bother squatting until you've got this 200 pound pair of squat shoes. It's like, what are you doing? Like if someone doesn't do any exercise and they want to squat and now they're not going to because they think they have to go and buy the latest Mike Romelios. <laughs> like you, you, your fate, like as a fitness professional, you've literally failed the most important part of your job. And that is promoting exercise, trying to get people to be active, um, I, I, I think that's sort of where, where I stand on it. And as you said, that particular page and one or two others are just repeat offenders. 
you know, they'll put out one or two, you know, fairly nice, pleasant posts like, hey, lifting's for everyone. And then they'll come up with a post being like, by the way, if you do this, you're going to get knee cancer. <laughs> it's like not only, not only, not only are you demonstrably wrong in that case, but you're putting people off doing something which is of wondrous benefit to everyone. There we go. Sorry, rant, rant over. No, that's 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 completely true. I think I think with stuff like that uh, that you touched on is, especially when we talk about like injury and introductions training, you have to be so careful with like the language that you use, and it can be so like poorly misconstrued depending on on the reader. And especially when you've got like a page where it's like, do you have pain here? And they've got like a, do you have pain in every single part of your body potential? Here is the solution. And that's not how the body works. It's, it's far more complicated than that. And then you don't want people going to the gym thinking that, you know, they need to do the McGill Big Three before their, you know, barbell, uh, empty barbell squat or their spine's going to fucking implode or something like that. It's just not what you, it's not, it's not productive. Like it may be informative for select people who are able to like who maybe spend a bit more time within like the gym like we have and we can kind of we can separate what's useful and useless but if someone like you said is so fresh to that it's just going to be like so much harder than to get into that kind of momentum of just training and feeling movements out yeah yeah exactly and, and as rich said in that sort of particular post it, it just gave the suggestion you know we're all fairly experienced and educated to a certain degree. Some of us are more posh than others, perhaps. Um, but we, we know that you don't have to do those exercises that he listed. Like we, we know that we get like, yeah, they're good exercises in the right context. If we wanted them, great. But we know we don't need to do them. But we're not the people that need help with fitness, need help with training. Like we're already going to the gym. We're already aware of the benefits of it. But if you're telling someone that they need to do this because it'll fix their imbalances, all of a sudden they're like, geez, I didn't know I had imbalances. And all of a sudden they start worrying about loads of things that don't matter and then becoming hyper aware of all these little sensations. And again, my understanding is that long term that can lead to, you know, that, that fragility mindset can actually lead to, you know, you're anticipating feeling pain because someone's told you you don't want to, you know, have these imbalances which don't exist anyway. And all of a sudden, you start feeling your left hip. It might be perfectly normal. It might go away in a week's time. You become hyper aware of it. So you're like, God, I've got to do more of these fixing the imbalances exercises. Um, and also, what happens if someone does get hurt and they try those things because they think they're going to fix it and they stay hurt? It's like, yeah. well, there's absolutely nothing I can do now. Maybe they just don't go back to the gym ever again. Maybe, you know, yeah. I, I don't know. I think it's just, I, I think a post like that doesn't help, doesn't help anyone. It's very... Um odd the, the the sort of paranoia that you can that you can get from reading information like that like I, I remember must be two or three years ago now I bought the becoming a supple leopard book and the first chapter of the book is all about this is what perfect posture and perfect alignment looks like yeah. and it was a 2d image anatomy image and it was you know if your feet don't look like this when you're standing up, there's a problem there. If your shoulders look like this when you're standing up, there's a problem there and you need to look like this and this is how you fix it. And I read the first chapter of the book and I literally was like, okay, I'm completely fucked. <laughs> my feet are pointing the wrong way. My knees look funny. I'm, I'm pretty sure my pelvis is out of alignment, but I don't know how, I, how I'd be able to know that, but the book said it was. 
shoulders are rounded over. I've probably I've got all sorts wrong with me. And I remember sitting in the barbers and I was looking down at my feet and I was like, I've got to go straight my feet up. Something's going to go. <laughs> it becomes a prophecy. Yeah. And this is my structure, that particular page um, posted a video of um, an Olympic weightlifter who was performing back squats and her knees were coming in. And then he pauses it, obviously right at the worst part of this, the, the knees caving in during the squat, obviously to make it seem worse than it is. And then the, you know, draws all the little arrows along her thigh and her shin and all that. And then goes on to say that this is caused by weak glutes. And then I'm just like, how the fuck can someone who can snatch over one and a half times their body weight have weak glutes? Yeah. Like for me, like I, I, one of the sayings I always love is the proof in the pudding is in the eating. Like if this person has weak glutes, there is no fucking way they would be able to do the job of Olympic weightlifting. They wouldn't be able to clean. They wouldn't be able to snatch the two things that Olympic weightlifters do. And again, I just, I just find it such a weird thing to just take real isolated incidents and then put this causal kind of effect and fix down that it's a case of like, oh, yeah, you've got weak glutes, knees caving in, weak glutes. Oh, bad, bad back, weak glutes, poor credit rating, weak glutes. You know, it's just, <laughs> and it's just kind of, and it just becomes, because then what happens is, is something else that I hate is that people give rehab advice it's the same information being given out for tons of different issues. And again, I think that's, you go back to your point, Aaron, is that um, information, especially in the kind of like the rehab or the injury kind of realm needs to be really nuanced. And it's just in the same way that we would never give, you know, a hundred different clients, identical programs and exercises. Yet we're giving, you know, these places are giving, thousands if not hundreds of thousands of people identical exercises to fix problems that they probably don't even have yeah just bef just before i shoot off we were t i was talking about this on my uh rts call the other day and we were discussing the whole knee over the toe thing uh with squatting and michael said well if your knee wasn't allowed to go over your toe nobody would be able to go up and down the stairs yeah <laughs> Like yeah. that, uh, just, at least not efficiently <laughs> yeah I just feel like uh, I mean maybe it's just the people that I follow but I remember a few years ago everything was very very standardised and it was literally like a tick box for everything wasn't it it's like okay cool if you can hold uh, this position in a squat then we can tick the box to say that you're, you're fit to squat or x y and z but it's very individual like I might squat with my feet rotated out at a certain angle because that's what suits me and my structure rich might do it with his feet facing forward and that they look completely different but they're still healthy squats and that's what we need to kind of come more toward i feel it's very much a um create the problem and sell the solution kind of situation i think where um mm. and there was there was a similar post where it was like you know what's better a lifter squatting 500 pounds with perfect technique or a lifter squatting 650 pounds with good technique, but a slight hip shift and a little bit of knee valgus. 
And first I was like, well, £650 on a squat. Like, what, who the fuck is squatting that perfectly to start off with? Like, who, who isn't shifting their hips into a slightly more advantageous position? But it's like there's the 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 the, uh, the poor contextual situation. Just it doesn't it doesn't give any positive information or useful information to to the, the question that's being asked. It's just like you've, it's like apples and oranges. You can't you can't compare or give any insight to them. And then you go, okay, cool. Here's a banded clamshell or the lateral walk, and that's gonna like Rich said, like fix this person's knee valgus because it drains their glutes, and it fucking doesn't. It's it's that kind of cycle we get kind of thrown into. I think that's the issue. Yeah, and, and, and like you said, you know what you're going to get with that page because he's selling a very particular product. And so any opportunity that he gets to reaffirm the value in his product, he's going to use. Well, you know, even if it means using an athlete that's reached Olympic, you know, an Olympic podium and suggests that, or, you know, world's strongest man competitor. And he's not coached them to that position, but once they're there, he'll go, we improve them by doing X, Y, or Z. The Bolloquin method. Right. <laughs> the Poliquin method. <laughs> Take the finished product and polish it a little bit and claim it's yours. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, the, and again, the, the idea of there being perfect form, I think, is something that we've all probably, at some point, you know, bought into that and gone, well, you know, we can, imp- we can improve it. But as you said, it completely disregards any sort of, you know, personal individual traits, proportions, injury history, all, all sorts of things. And, and again, it, for me, it just puts up more barriers. A lot of times I'll have conversations with people or, or I hear of people who, you know, oh, I don't want to get into the gym because I don't, know, I, don't, I don't know if I can do a perfect squat. And it's like, you don't have to just, you know, we as fitness professionals want you to exercise, go for a run, go to the gym, try some stuff. As you get more competent and you want to push it, then yeah, we can we can change your technique and form so that you can get more out of it. But it's not necessarily ever going to look perfect because it doesn't exist. It's an arbitrary idea. What's perfect for Josh is different to what's perfect for Sam and for Rich and myself. Um, but again, it, it, it just overly complicates things. And, and I think it almost creates this sort of elitist mindset. It's like, well, you're not an our club because you don't do it the way I do it. And you should do it the way I do it because it, that's perfect. And again, it's, it's, it's not helpful. If someone wants to get more out of their squat from a performance standpoint, cool, go and see someone who can coach you to do that. But you don't have to squat perfectly in order to get the benefits from physical exercise. And if, if you're putting that out there to huge numbers of people, it's just another thing that they're hyper aware of. Lifting's dangerous. I've got all these imbalances. I don't know how to do it perfectly. What's the point in even trying? Like how, how, how demotivating is that when really your first job is just to get people exercising? You know, you, you can save the, you know, the advice that's applicable for the 0.001% who want to be elite. You can save that for talking to them in person. Um, again, that would be my take on it. The uh, an example that we use when we talk about like with an online coaching is kind of like eight week transformation programs and how you get like this massive intake of people who all do the same thing and you will get you will see like the, the maybe five to ten percent of people who have done incredibly well from that but the other ninety percent you'll never see and I, I think it's the exact same you'll see the people who like they were going to respond well to certain squats and cues anyway or certain methods or techniques or whatever. And, you, and then the other 90%, well, they're going to fall by the wayside. You're not going to see them. And then you're going to go, okay, cool. This person's got a really good deadlift program. 
some people who are probably good deadlifters naturally have got great results from it. It must be a good program. And you get that again, Rich said, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy that you get over and over as a result of it. Rich. I don't know, Rich. Josh, you're off the back of that, mate. I was just about to say, Josh, <laughs> off the back of that, you've just gone 40 odd minutes without ranting about online coaching. You're feeling all right? I've done, I've done all right. I'm, I'm being <laughs> polite to allowing our guests to talk. Because I've been doing yeah. all the rambling and ranting. We'll, <laughs> yeah. we'll come back to that full circle. Oh, no, we will. We will. Don't worry. Don't worry. It's, yeah. it's, uh, I've marked it in. <laughs> no, but honestly, you know, you know, off the back of that, um, off the back of your point as well, Aaron, like, um, I feel like just at the moment where the fitness industry is at, you know, you'll have, you know, like these posts like from Squat University or just, you know, various influencers or even like, the, you know, the typical bro bodybuilders in the industry that will effectively make it out like if you are not this person, if you can't do X, Y, Z, then you're not good enough. You're not going to get X, Y, Z. And like the amount of times I've had clients come to me saying, you know, they previously had advice from other pages or the coaches, PTs or whatever, and they were kind of made out to, or because of like who they are, whether it's whether they're suffering with their mental health or whether they've got injuries or, or whatever it may be, they've been made out to, in a sense, you know, they're not capable of getting the result they want because of something they've been told by a page and influencer and stuff like that. And it just, like you say, it kind of goes against everything that you kind of taught when, you know, you first become a, a coach, you want people to you know, get into this kind of thing and you want the barrier of entry to be as low as possible, but it's, you know, with experiences like this that then make our jobs even harder because people come in with these preconceived conceptions that they're not good enough to get the result. And that's just probably one of the biggest issues there is. Yeah, it's, I think that the first, people's first sort of, this is why I, I've always had a an approach of deliberately getting clients to underachieve when they first start training. Because then that way, it's easier to ramp up. Yeah. And there's a sense of progression very early on that is really rewarding. And it really gets people to kind of, and then it, it fuels that snowball process, which builds and builds and builds and builds and builds. I think a lot of PTs get in their own way by getting clients, trying to get them in 100% straight away. The problem with 100% is it's very hard to stay consistent at 100%. The only way then typically is downhill. Yeah. And then when you're absolutely thrashing clients, then they, they see sort of a drop off. It's really demotivating. It's really shit for the client. And it just, it doesn't get any kind of consistency with their training. And I really love the quote, whoever lifts the longest is the strongest. Yeah. And it's something that uh, I think, you know, anyone who's out there sort of like listening to this or anyone, you know, in gyms, whatever it be, is having that consistency of training um, in whatever you do, whether it is more endurance-based training, cardio stuff, lifting weights, powerlifting, Olympic weightlifting, strongman, whatever it is, is having consistency with it is always going to be like the key factor. And um, you know that that that's something I feel that Aaron, that you know your approach is something that's really good, and that I imagine a lot of your clients even if they stopped training with you, would still stay consistent with their training due to the sort of the principles that you installed in them? I'd like, I mean, I'd, I'd like to think so. I can't, <laughs> I can't <laughs> tell you yes or no. Um, yeah, no, I, 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 yeah, no I, I, I agree with all that. And I think, like you said, a lot of times, it's a nice, almost like a nice wake-up call for clients when they maybe first start working with them, when even if they aren't going, you know, guns blazing all the time and they're still getting results, you know, again, 
we all know that you don't have to be killing yourself in the gym five days a week to get whatever result it is you're after, whether that's strength, fitness, body composition. So as soon as you say to people, look, you don't have to be, you know, grinding, going beast mode seven days a week, like these top, you know, influence, whoever it might be, might, you know, maybe suggesting. Again, I, I find there's just way more buying. So, oh, actually, this is way more manageable than I thought it would be. You know, perhaps they've, as you sort of said, Sam, they've built up in their head that they've got to be doing all these different things that in reality, they probably don't have to do if they just want to improve from where they are now. You know, maybe if you're a professional bodybuilder, professional athlete, and you've got to do those sorts of things. But for the people I work with, and I imagine for the majority of people you guys work with, I'm assuming, mm-hmm. don't have to be doing a lot of that stuff. You can get great results not crushing yourself in the gym and, you know, having to sort of drag yourself out on your hands and even a pile of, like, pile, pile of blood and sweat and tears in the gym. Like, you don't need to be doing that to your results. If you're inclined that way, great. I'm not going to stop you. That's cool. But... Like you said, if you can get people results with almost like a minimum effective dose to start with, it's like, we've got so much room now. And, and again, I'd say the same sort of thing as you said, Rich. When I say to people to start with, how many sessions a week do you want in your program? And I want you to tell me right now, realistically, what's the least that you want? You know, what's, what's, re- what's reasonable? I'd rather you say to me three and I give you three. And in two weeks time, you're like, this is going great. I reckon I can squeeze another one in if I want to. I'd much rather be in that position then you tell me right now you want to do six sessions a week i'll give you six sessions a week you start missing the sixth and the fifth one you get demotivated you start blaming yourself i was like let's start small like you sort of point out and be like you know it's a brilliant position to be in as a coach if your client says i want to do another session i feel like i can go up again you're like great fantastic i just give you just give you more exercise the worst not the worst the, the opposite side the flip side of that having to take exercise away from people tell them they need to do less like you sort of said, it's, it's, it's a demotivating place to be. Yeah, I, that's completely true. I remember there was there was a point where I, um, when I was starting my PC career, there was like a massive, like it was the in thing to compete in bodybuilding. And I worked with a lot of people. I followed a lot of people who, you know, probably hadn't even been at the gym for that long. So they're still kind of finding your feet. They're kind of still finding what they like doing. And they probably got a good physique and it was kind of the time where, you know, if you had a good physique, you compete in a bodybuilding competition for whatever reason. And now I know a lot of them, they've completely gravitated away from that um, because it kind of taught them that it's not what they wanted to do. They much preferred CrossFit, running, all of these like different modems within the industry. And I think people kind of forget the ceiling is very high for like opportunity within the industry right now. And I think showing your client that from the get-go by, like I said, starting them small, slowly exposing them to all these new things when they're ready and saying, the world's your oyster. There's so much we can do. Like, what have you taken to? What What is it that you've really clicked with in the past six months to a year of working with me? Like, where do you want to go? And that changes over time, obviously. But I think exposing them to that and giving that introduction is, is such a big part of training that we don't really talk about where at the moment it's kind of seen yep cool fat loss uh, client body composition eight week shred done where there's so much more you can do as a trainer yeah i think i think just to go, just to touch on that and go back to that as well that sort of ties in with when you're asking me earlier rich about goals and sometimes not even having some to start with i think sometimes as as, as, as pts we can also get too caught up in having to have this set structure you're always working towards this specific outcome. And we're going to do this exact thing every day, Monday, like we've got everything planned out. And there is a time and a place that 100%. But I think 
for most people who don't really know what they want out of it, giving them the freedom to experience different things within trading just allows them to find what really clicks with them. And sometimes it's really random. Like I, I am terrible for organization and structure to my week and all that sort of stuff. Like, you know, when, when Jordan Peterson talks about order versus chaos, I'm like, you know, the sort of the, the random chaotic side of things sounds a bit attractive actually to me. And so, and so we'll just have like, people just do random stuff at the gym that just clicks to them and it's different for everyone. Um, and I remember like the, the, most, the most epic thing I've ever been a part of in the gym was just completely random. One of the young ladies I was coaching, at the time we had like a 60 kilo medicine ball um, just tucked away in the gym. And I only rolled it out every now and again because they didn't want to leave it out for members of the public to use because I thought someone hurt themselves. She was a tiny little 50 kilo lady, very, very lean, very strong for her weight. She was like, oh, I saw you post up about that. I want to pick that up. I was like, that's 120% of your body weight. Like, and it's awkward and it's spongy and there's no grip. She's like, yeah, I want to pick it up. I'm like, that's mental. Like, I, I didn't say that. I was like, okay, we'll give it a go at the end of the session. Now, she done lots of deadness, lots of strength exercises, never picked up an atmosphere in her life. And it was just, it was just, we, we rolled out at the end of the session to the 15 minutes to pick it up and put this platform. And it was the most epic thing ever because I've never seen like a better example of human resiliency and just stubbornness, like would not stop. Like the first time she tried to pick up, pick up the floor, didn't even budge. This was not part of the plan. We'd never picked up a med ball ever. But she was like, no, I really want to do that. And I'm like, well, who am I to say that you can't do it? Like, hang on a minute. You want to do something that's fucking cool and epic, shows how strong you are and how resilient you are. Let's do it. And the buzz from watching that, from being in the gym, like that, it's cheesy, but that just like, that stays with me forever. And the people who are in the room were like, fucking hell, that was epic. And even to this day, she's like, yeah, I want to do more than that next time. And it's like posting about that. Sorry, I think I remember you posting about it. Yeah, so I remember that. that I remember all that. the time. I post yeah. about it all the time, usually to troll people about neutral spines. The uh, reason why I remember you post about that is because I convinced the owner of the studio I was working at the time to buy one of those fucking med balls so we could yeah. lob it around for three minutes yeah. straight and see how many times we could do it. Yeah, and that just became a thing. <laughs> I mean, there were like big, like there were big rugby guys in there, like eighteen stone props and back and, and like back rows, like chucking it around. It's like cool. That's fine. It's 60% of your body weight. It's like me trying to pick up a 130 kilo, like, metal. It was bonkers. It was, and, and I didn't, I didn't think she'd be able to do it when she did. I was like, Jesus Christ. When she's trying to pick it up, I'm like, how do I even spot this? In the video, I'm sort of like running around, like, where, like, am I going to catch the metal? Am I going to, it was, it was chaos. <laughs> it was unplanned. There was no, there was no reason to do it. It wasn't going to, like, help her body composition or wasn't going to contribute anything. It was just, hang on a minute. I'm just going to do something really cool because it's going to be really cool. And I'm strong and I want to do it. And again, as a coach for me, if that's what gets her motivated and focused and I can say, hey, you know, probably helped doing all those deadlifts and, you know, getting stronger to be able to do that. And I can say, well, we'll keep doing all these deadlifts and chin-ups because you'll be able to do it more. But I feel like I, I know we have, I know we don't really talk about nutrition much, but like the most common like thing you'll hear coaches say about nutrition is like the 80-20 rule. You're like eight percent of foods should be you know in line with goals, twenty percent is whatever you want. Training works exactly the same way. Like if the vast majority is in line with your goals, but you want to 
I don't know, chuck a med ball around, do like a, a strongman session once a month or something like that. As long as it's not detrimental, like fucking yeah, go for it. Like definitely. Yeah. And I think, I think it, again, another, again, I don't know if I picked it up from, but I sort of gravitate around this idea of having physical freedom, if you will. Like, yeah, have, filling out a t-shirt is cool. Having a six pack is cool. But having the, you know, if I'm, if I were a client and they're in a position where they're like, my mates go hiking on the weekends or they go rock climbing. And I'm always a bit like that because I'm worried I'm not going to be able to keep up. If in three months time, they've got the physical freedom, they're like, I just go out and do whatever I want with my mates. I no longer feel held back by what my body can and cannot do. Like that's, again, that, that's, that's priceless as far as I'm concerned. And that might be something weird and trivial like, picking up a weird medicine ball, or it might just be getting fitter, getting stronger, and just having the physical freedom to go and do whatever the fuck you want to do. You want to go out and play a game of basketball, and you can now do that because you've taken care of your physical well-being. Fantastic. You want to go out for a bike ride, and you're no longer worried about get, you know, holding your mates up or holding your friends, your family up. Fantastic. Like, those are the little things that we get from training that I think sometimes as a personal trainer, I know I've been guilty of, we get too focused on I think at least, exact numbers. This is how much you can deadlift. This is how much you weigh. And it's like, hang on a minute. Does this person really care about that? Probably not. But they do really, really enjoy the fact that they can now go and play an hour of football on the weekend with their mates when beforehand they get gassed after five minutes. Yeah, I think one of the biggest things for me was I had a client who was extremely overweight. Um so morbidly obese and he's, he's now lost over 45 kilos. And I remember one, one stage he now, he said to me, he goes, just wanted to thank you. And I was kind of like, Oh look, you're doing all the work here. Like, I'm just kind of like telling you what to do. I always make the joke of like, who do you applaud the monkey or the grinder? Like who's doing the work. And he just said, thanks to you. I can now use the tube because before I couldn't fit in the seats. And again, that, that, that just never even, like, never even sort of entered my mind that that might be an obstacle for someone using the tube, because it's something that I, you know, living in London, I do every single day. And usually it's a case of, like, you know, if it's really busy, you don't even get a seat anyway. But like, the fact that this guy, like, would deliberately avoid using, pub, like, the, the, like, the busiest form of public transport in London because of his size... And that being an obstacle to him was just like, that was, that was really, um, that really sort of altered my perception. And again, like I said, I think I've been very guilty of being very numbers based um, because, you know, I think as trainers, we feel an obligation to present information to our clients to show them how they're doing. And, and um, I've definitely been, you know, somebody who's been a bit too fixated on numbers rather than the entire journey and what else that they have um, accomplished from it. I'm with you on that one, Rich. Um, you know, I think just thinking about it now, I mean, obviously working mostly with like body composition and stuff, you do tend to get, you know, fixated on the numbers, kind of focusing on that when you, when you do your check-ins and stuff like that. But thinking about now, every single time that I felt, uh, you know, satisfied as a coach and felt fulfilled, there's always been after a client message where they're saying, you know, I've wore this dress for the first time in five years or, um, you know, I'm wearing an outfit that I've never ever think, or I never thought I'd ever wear before and stuff, or I'm performing in the gym, lifting numbers I've never seen before. Those are the things that make me fulfilled as a coach, not necessarily any number like that they kind of have on the scale or, you know, new measurements and stuff like that. 
I think that's really important. Yeah, like another one that just just came to mind, like a client who said for years, sent a photo of himself on holiday by the swimming pool. And he said, this is the first time I've gone shirtless at a swimming pool since I was a teenager. And again, like, again, it's, there's something that never entered my mind and never thought that that would be an obstacle. And I think this is where we get too fixated on kind of like using our trainer kind of like brains and sort of, you know, how tying our own kind of goals and perceptions to the goals of our clients. And where, you know, that was like a really big thing for him. And um, again, I, I just feel like uh, it never entered my mind that someone would wear a t-shirt in a pool because they, you know, were unconfident with the way that they looked. And that's got to be a huge change for that person. Mm. Yeah, 100%. I wear my t-shirt in the pool just to stop me getting sunburnt. <laughs> I have no idea what you've been speaking about because I've just got back from dropping the kid off. This is well, we're, talking about we're talking about non, um, non-number based goals and wins in the gym for clients. Like you're saying, it's trainers, like I was saying a minute ago, like get a bit too fixated on like scale weight, body mm. fat percentages, oh, has your waist measurement dropped by this much, chase the waist ratios and stuff like this. Rate um, of shit and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah exactly. And it's all very numbers-based. And some of the stuff, the biggest wins actually clients have, have got nothing to do with the number. Yeah. It's a common thing you see on Instagram, actually, when you see like people with like slightly larger followings when they get like the Q&As, and it's a, what, what's my rate of loss? I'm this weight, this body fat, how much should I be losing? And it's like, it's just... You, it's not something that you need to be obsessing about so much. Like the body's not like a, a robot that calculates things this way. And kind of like Aaron said, as long as you're enjoying your training and it's progressive in some sort of way um, that we can actually like objectively measure, that's that's going to do a lot of the work. Yeah. I, th- I think well, you're almost, especially with how big something like Instagram is, I think you're always going to be fighting against that initial instinct that those things what matter most because in many ways that's all that you can present on Instagram. It's hard to present like what you were saying, Rich, about someone saying, you know, you're not going to share that on Instagram. And even if someone saw that, you know, Instagram is a visual platform, it's photos, it's videos, having a text exchange with someone isn't going to connect with people a lot. So I think as well, so instinctively people lean into the more visual aspects so and so lost 10 pounds by doing this training program and you can see a visual difference and that's a really good motivator perhaps and there are obviously health benefits to it but i think once people start training and they start realizing the other benefits they'll attach to those more anyway and they'll realize actually i may have started for this reason this may have kickstarted it this may have been what grabbed my attention on instagram to begin with or on social media but I've come to realize that, you know, X, Y, and Z is way more important. And I think, you know, our role is in part at least to recognize when they, when they recognize that and just feel like, and just sort of, you know, fireworks going around and be like, yes, absolutely. This, this is, this is what we want. This is, this is why we're doing this in the first place, you know, screw everything else. (laughs) Nice. Um, One. So we did actually have a bloke, message us to ask a question i don't know if you boys have just been over this um he wanted to ask us about how we do movement screenings oh yes i I remember you said um i know i've i've seen you talk about it in the past aaron with dr mike and other various people 
How do you go about a movement screening when a client first comes into the gym with you? If you um, do feel that is. This, this might be interesting, I think, because I think my current approach is probably very, I'm jumping to conclusions, very different to at least yours, Ben, and yours, Josh's. Rich and Sam, I, I, I can't speak about, but from what I gather on social media, I don't do, currently, I don't do any movement assessment. Not, not, not as in traditional table tests, exercises. Um, I used to, 100% I used to. We used to look at like shoulder external rotation and we used to do the Thomas test and all these different bits and pieces. And I think there is real merit in that. And I think if someone is coming in with a particular issue, then there is merit in doing that. However, the, sort of the, the other part that I think resonated a bit more with me was, again, a lot of times an exercise in itself, if you've got a good eye for it, is an assessment. Sense of, you know, if I, if I get someone doing a squat uh, with a bar on their back, I'm not just going to, you know, switch off and start to squat on my phone. I'm watching them the whole time. So that's giving me information. How they do push ups is giving me information. If someone comes in and they're pain free and they just want to exercise, get a bit fitter, get a bit stronger, I want them to start that process as soon as possible. And I want them leaving the gym feeling like they've accomplished something. And I got the impression that my assessment process, at least potentially, was slowing that down. And that they'd come in and they test something and I'd go, oh, that's a bit short on that side. Or, oh, you've not got as much range of movement on your left side and your right side. And whilst that may be the case, I think unless you're working with a very specific individual, I don't think, again, I'm open to, to, to discussion about it. I don't think it matters. Because no, I, I agree. I think humans are very... Are, are, are capable of being very fluid with their movements. So how someone presents on a table with no load on their back is going to be very different to how they move once they put that bar on their back in their hands. Yeah. And that's fine. And, and I think, again, I got into this habit of thinking there was like a, a, a perfect start point. Like, oh, hang on a minute. You're lacking 10 degrees of external rotation. You've got to find that before you can do X, Y, and Z. Now, maybe they don't feel great doing an overhead press but I'm not gonna assess them and mobilize them and stretch them. I'm gonna be like, cool, fantastic. We'll just change the incline on the bench or we'll go for landmine press. Like the sooner I can get them moving and working and getting a bit of a sweat on, in my opinion at least, the better. If an issue presents itself during a training session, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. You know, if a certain squat variation doesn't feel good on the back, I'm like, fantastic, let's change the bar. Um, you know, I love the safety bar because more often than not, people squat really well with it because, you know, we all know it shifts the center of mass a little bit. They're not in like this super extended position. They don't need to know that. They just like the fact that there's a 30 kilo, back, 30 kilo bar on their back and they're doing really nice squats and they feel their legs moving. Yes. If they felt bad doing it, we change it. But my assessment process is let's get you warmed up and let's see how you move. Um, yeah. And, and, and that in itself tells me a lot. You know, if someone's absolutely nailing split squats on their right leg, but when they feel their left leg doing it, they look really awkward and they only feel their right leg, then, you know, we'll coach that. We'll go, cool, here are a few little cues. But I wouldn't do a traditional assessment anymore. Yeah, I, I've come away from that massively. So I, like my, um, so I, so I, so I said to this, this bloke that asked a question initially, my assessment now is, similar to yourself it's within movements 
because I found when I first, I mean, I first off, I first became aware of assessments and screening through FMS. Um, but then, you know, <laughs> as, you, as you educate yourself, I just very quickly learned that all FMS does is tell you whether or not you are good at FMS. FMS. It doesn't tell you anything really about the person. And then, uh, and then I, uh, you know, you, you dig a little deeper and you look into more things and then it became very like joint by joint focused on the table type sort of shit. Um, but again, I found that I, I would, you know, write a, a whole list of all of this stuff that I discovered differences in, in certain areas and whatever, but then I would go and then put that person into a leg press or a lunge and I couldn't see any of it. Yeah. I'd be like, okay. And ultimately, and I think Skinny uh, Skinny Gaz spoke about it a couple of months back, and, and it really resonated with me, was if a client comes to you and you do an assessment on them, you, you mean well, you want to look after that person by doing an assessment, and you say to them, look, we're going to do a movement assessment because I want to make sure that the exercises I pick for you are, are correct. But you then get them on the table, on the floor, whatever it is, and you write out a whole a whole list of shit that's wrong with them. What, like, what sort of impression is that giving that like their first session with you? You've had a sit down, you've had a chat, they've already talked to you about the insecurities that they have with the way that they look or whatever it might be. You then say, "Cool, come in for your movement screening." You then reel off a whole list of bullet points of other things that are wrong with them that they didn't know about and that makes them feel even worse about themselves so what so what what that really resonated with me and I thought fuck me yeah because I would feel the exact same way I could stroll into the session pain-free feeling really good like right mate I want I'm ready to kill this 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 12 weeks I've booked with you and he'll go okay mate cool like lie down there right so right shoulder is is shit uh, left hips crap ankles crap we got loads of stuff to work on. My head's going down instantly. Whereas if he, whereas now what I'll do is I'll be like, okay, cool. So I've picked a few exercises that I think will be suitable for your goal. Let's go on the leg press, for example. I might look at it and be like, something, you know, how does that feel? Oh, it feels a bit funny. Okay, let's try this. Let's move your feet here, or let's do this with your knees, or let's change the back pad, or let's let's just test how far you can actually pull your pull your legs and and whatever and see if that helps and you basically i do my screenings and my tests within the movements that i've picked and i say to clients now when they sign up with me i don't even think about putting a program together until session three maybe four when we've been through lots of different exercises together that i think might suit you um, and then once I've got a list of all the exercises that we've tested and taught and that you feel comfortable with um, and that seems to suit you quite nicely, then I'll just take those exercises and I'll put them in a program for you. And that's how I do it now. So very similar to yourself. And that'll teach me for jumping to conclusions. Which I well, we spoke about it, didn't we? We spoke about the active range squat thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which again like it's a valid test but it's kind of a um again like i'll always have a certain bias towards certain things like we all will but again i am perhaps maybe too far on the side of i don't want to hurt somebody just in case and so if i if i say cool lift your leg up in various in various degrees of abduction or whatever it is 
I at least know that if we go to that depth, there's going to be some sort of, of safety there, but it's not, but my aim would always be, okay, you've got this much range now, but I want to see you get this much range in a couple of weeks time. I'm not just going to hold you there forever because yeah. you, you know, more, more ROM, the better for yeah. most exercises. It's just whether or not you've currently earned the right to take yourself there. Um, so I always have that in the back of my mind as well, but, very similar to yourself and also it's more it's better for the client let's just crack on and get on with it you know yeah get you under a bar let's get you under a leg press let's get you on a on a chest press machine or whatever and, and let's actually do some movements rather than have you lie down for an hour i think um something you point out there is because like, you said you don't you don't want to harm them but you don't want to do anything that's going to negatively impact them and mm. like movement screen inside nine times out of ten it's just it's like poor prescription of like programming and exercise that's going to do that, not like give them a push up when, you know, they've got a little bit of external rotation on one side. Cause like you talk about like having like the spreadsheet full of um, like exercise. I, I did that with someone like two weeks ago who's had like eight years worth of injuries. And I was like, cool, let's actually get you on the bench. Just have a look. And on paper, like nothing crazy. He's probably more mobile than I am, but of course he's had like eight years worth of injuries and like he injured himself like having a casual game of tennis like the other day. But I was looking through his program. I was like, not had a consistent program for a decent amount of time. There's nothing that's been kind of in line with his exact goals. And I think that uh, lack of detail or attention that some people do end up doing or that some trainers end up imposing on the clients probably will do more harm than you not doing a movement screening or doing an overly convoluted movement screen that doesn't really show you much. That just makes you feel, your client feel like shit. Yeah. I think if people come in and we tell them all the imbalances that they've got, you've just become their own personal in-person squat you, haven't we? Everyone's imbalanced anyway. Like <laughs> that's just that's yeah. what we are. And all the yeah, all all the things that you know we pre- that I preach about online. If I'm just putting up barriers to exercise when someone comes in as a personal trainer, you know it's incredibly hypocritical of me. And I think Ben, you, you touched on it as well. How you go about having that conversation with people is what really matters in, in the sense of if maybe they are struggling to hit a certain range of movement, but if you say to them, look, that's perfectly normal, you know, we need to improve your confidence in the gym, maybe then we can improve range of movement, get you a bit stronger. Like this comes with a bit of patience and a bit of hard work. There's nothing wrong with you. We don't have to squat lower today. We don't have to do a lower leg press today, but we will probably try to do it in the future because you'll probably get a bit more out of it. And there's no reason why we can't work towards that. I think having that sort of conversation is so much more positive than saying to someone, you know, like, whoa, 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 hang on a minute. Mm. You can't go any lower, mate. You're lacking five degrees of adduction on your right calcaneus or something like that. And all of a sudden someone's like, <laughs> I, I, I think again, the outcome can be the same. You're limiting range of movement at a certain point. You know, you're saying, you're just going to stop there today. But the reasons for doing that, or the, the reasons we tell people why that might be the case, can have a profound difference. Again, my understanding is that if someone is anticipating or if they have fear around a certain movement, if they think they're going to get hurt, more than likely, they're going to. It's sort of like, you know, seeking you shall find or like a self-fulfilling prophecy. And if someone's hyper-aware of their lower back or their knees, and you tell them there's something wrong with their lower back or knees, then... When they do get that little back pump, they suddenly go, oh, I shouldn't be feeling that. Yeah. And all of a sudden that back pump hangs around for a bit and ends up getting sore. And then they get hyperprotective over it and really stiff. And all of a sudden, before you know it, they may end up with back problems. Whereas if you just normalize things and say, hey, look, things can improve over time. 
let's get confident in training, let's enjoy it. Everything improves. Yeah. I remember when I did the, um, so I did Sebastian Oreb's um, strength system one and two. And I remember one of the um, questions he was asked during the, um, during the course, someone said to him, what do you look for in a good squat? And I was expecting him to say things like, you know, upright torso, knees tracking over toes. And the, the first thing I look for is, does it look good? Is it a good looking squat? And he's like, because if it looks good, I don't need to change anything. And it's, it's a really interesting thing for me. And it's something that I think it just, after a while, I think this takes a lot of um, like just time in the gym and clocking up those PT hours and working with clients. Is that you can just look at something, just go, yep, that looks good. Or you can just look at something and you go, I don't know why yet, but that doesn't look right. And then you investigate. But that's something that's really, um, that I really like. And I, I think it's an approach that I, I really like doing is that, you know, let's see what looks good. Yeah, completely agree. Yeah. And, you, and you can make arguments, I suppose, against in terms of like from a performance standpoint, like do you need to be, do you need to have a good looking squat to be the world's best powerlifter? Hmm. I suppose you can make an argument either way, but working with elite level powerlifters, you know, if someone comes in, like Dr. Mike the other day, like reshared a photo of his squat and being like, look how lush my squats are looking. I'm like, that's, that's pretty epic because all of a sudden he's going to want to do more squats and I win because I want him to do more squats. Like if he can, if he's squatting and he, he's like, yeah, it looks nice. And everyone's like, yeah, it looks nice. It's a positive experience. All I want people to do is to train. If that means that they're chasing a lush squat, then excellent. We're going to keep working towards, like you say, a, a, a lush, good-looking squat. And I think I think we all know roughly what that looks like without having to like demonize anything that slightly deviates one way or the other, like you say, Rich. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, that looks good for you. You know, it looks different to what this guy's doing, maybe, but for you, that looks pretty good. Yeah, see, this is the thing. And again, so back in my strongman days, I remember I was um had the pleasure of meeting a chap called Dale McPherson. And this guy, he competes in strongman. He, by squat use standards, another thing, has arguably the ugliest looking deadlift you've ever seen. But he pulls 400 kilos at under 100 kilo body weight. So, I mean, and that is something you can't argue with. Is he injured? No. Does he round his back? Yeah, hell of a lot. But this is why I say, like, the proof in the pudding's in the eating. Is he injured? No. He's always pulled like that. He always is going to pull like that. To a certain extent, you can say, if his back is that fucking strong, he probably can bend the rules. And so he's not going to have a perfectly neutral spine. And arguably, who the hell is when they've got 400 kilos in hand? Exactly. Unless you've got a 400 kilo lap pull down. Well, the the, the, the funny thing is that when people measure spinal segments when people deadlift heavy which is relative it's not usually 400 kilos everyone's spine rounds like maybe it doesn't look like they're doing a jefferson curl but when you lift heavy there's natural movement at the spine it's going to flex squatting deadlifting always does i think most of the time it's around from what i can understand about 60 to 80 percent of max spine flexion which is a lot decent amount yeah 
and, and, and again, when you can say to people, look, it, it's, it's like, we don't want you trying to Jefferson curl your one rick max right now. That's probably not sensible. Maybe, maybe we'll work up to that. But again, the whole idea of there being perfect form and everything has to be neutral and locked in. It's like, well, the evidence doesn't, doesn't seem to align with what you're saying. So like, not only are you putting limitations on people, but you've actually got it completely wrong. Um, you know, humans are incredibly resilient. You know, you have to be patient, you have to work hard and take your time, but it's not much that humans can't get used to uh, eventually, I think. Um, and again, people, pages, whoever they might be, I think it, it, does, it, does, it does everyone a disservice when they put that barrier in front of you, as you sort of said. Agreed. Very true. 100%. Yeah. I think we've rinsed enough people today. <laughs> Yeah, it's actually been like well. it's been a lot more um, it's a lot more balanced and it's actually quite um, quite a good conversation today rather than just yeah that shit. Okay, so let's change that. What's the worst thing about Sam? There we go. There we go. <laughs> well, if I may go first, yeah, of course. <laughs> please, yes, you're your meant to go first. Unload, unload my friend. Completely outdone me on the facial hair. <laughs> So I did a little bit of research and I was like, I'm going to look at this Sam fella. And I was like, oh, and I'm like, one day these guys will hopefully invite me on their podcast. And I've been growing this for months and months and months. And I bet, I bet, I bet you haven't even tried, have you, grow that? No, no. This is considerably oh. short. Like, it used to be like fucking ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, like the last, po- the last time I was on the podcast properly, um, like two weeks ago, it was like, I don't know, my beer came to like here-ish, something like that. You're showing off a bit. Does Sophie like your beard? Much prefers it as it is now. Yeah, that's that's fair enough. <laughs> the time, it was one of those situations where when I was growing out, she was like, oh yeah, it's fine, yeah, it looks fine, looks fine, it's fine. Then when I had a cut, she was like, yeah, it looks so much better now, but I didn't want to say it. So, yeah. I, I couldn't imagine kissing like a really hairy face. Like imagine... If it was birds, that's a podcast all in itself. <laughs> I, I now know. we're getting into the good shit. This is your this therapy is session. I'm waiting for. Right, then I want you to sit back on this couch, close your eyes. You're safe. You're on a beach, and you're making out with a really bearded man. Tell me what's going through your mind right now. Yeah, I'm not getting on with it. It's not doing anything for me. Nonsense. Ben's trying to hide the biggest semi he's ever had. (laughs) There we go. There we go. I just tuck that under my waistband. Yeah, just. (laughs) Oh my god. Well, up until that point, you're You're safe around me. I've got basically ear down alopecia. Uh, I literally shave once a week, and. Even then, that is something that generally just involves sort of facing a quite a strong breeze. And that's enough for me. Just, no, just, I could never grow a beard, unfortunately. Never do it. Not Gosh, hairy. I make up for it by going to the gym. Say again, Ben. What was that, Ben? You, you probably grow like Afro beard, don't you? Mate, I, I had a beard in uni. It was basically a fucking neck beard. And it was like my actual hair. <laughs> it's literally this, but here. <laughs> And it made no, it made absolutely no sense. <laughs> and it was great when I got rid of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Sam just looks like any bloke from East London now. 
but doesn't sound like, anything like He looks like, like instead of being an online coach, the day he looks like that he started his own, like, artisanal ale <laughs> company. <laughs> you know, he just started doing his own, like, wow. fancy brands of IPAs or something like this. You're making me sound like a sandwich drink IPA. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, even fruitier IPA. They're also doubling <laughs> up as a Turkish barbers. <laughs> yes, boss. <laughs> yes, boss. Fantastic. Oh God! Well, um, any more? Any more questions for anyone? Or for Aaron? I think I think Aaron's probably sick of us right now. He's just like oh, probably. I really, I really want to go home right now. Let me just, just absolute career low for Aaron. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is terrible. This I knew this would be bad, but this is worse than I thought it'd be. I'm just surprised we made it as far as we did before it divulged into. No, we've done very well. We we yeah, have done very well. Farmers. This is generally the best performance for this podcast so far. And Sam was involved, which is the weird part. Yeah. <laughs> Normally we do about five minutes of an actual topic and then it ends up Josh or Rich or Ben mostly just ranting about online coaching or something of the sort. That then lasts for about half an hour. Then we do another five minutes of a serious topic. Then it's another rant. Right, you know what really grinds my gears about online coaches? This is this is it. Here we go. <laughs> No. everything maybe, maybe as, a, as a one-off we won't discuss no i think i think we've done well i think we've 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 rinsed a very popular instagram page and that, that'll that'll do, yeah, that'll that'll do. that's do. quite tame for us to be fair most online coaches follow that page so we've inadvertently rinsed <laughs> there it is yeah well Aaron, it's been an absolute pleasure thank you very much for your time thank you for having me and inviting me on it's been a pleasure it's been great mate. Thanks, mate pleasure my man well oh, where can people find you um, just on Instagram at Davies Training. Um, it's not Dave's Training, Davies Training. You wouldn't believe the number of times people DM me and go, Dave, got a question. Uh, <laughs> so much so that for quite a number of years, my bio was, hi, I'm Aaron. Um, yeah, so Davies Training. Um, people like will tag me and they'll go, I watched Dave's Training story the other day. Anyway, yeah, I'm rabbiting. Davies Training on Instagram. I'm not anywhere else. Um, it's hard enough keeping up on social on Instagram, isn't it? Let alone having three or four other channels. And for the weirdos that want to find you in person, <laughs> <laughs> for the two stalkers. <laughs> are, you asking, are, you, are you asking for a friend, Ben? Or <laughs> absolutely is as well, isn't he? Uh, you're not hairy enough. When when that beard fully grows out, then yeah, then, when that beard comes like, through, and then uh, Ben will come knocking. He'll be like. Hey, mate, we should get a training session in. <laughs> <laughs> so currently I'm, in, currently I'm in Dubai. Um, <laughs> um, no, uh, I live in a very small bubble, basically in Chichester. Anything outside of Chichester is far too far to me for venture. So based in Chichester. Um, were you hoping for me to give out like, my home address or something? <laughs> no. Yeah, and like you know, mother's maiden name. What's your uh, credit card? Uh, first pet name? growing up. <laughs> oh, it's ordering gym. <laughs> no, so I mean, I, I coach out of a gym that's attached to Chichester Rugby Club. Um, there you go. That that is where you may find me. Um, so stalkers, listen up. For the for the <laughs> listeners that perhaps want to come and do some. Yeah, no, I, pre- I appreciate that. I should have been such a twat for that. Well, that's why you're on the podcast. The spirit of the podcast, mate. Don't you worry. I fit, I fit the bill. Welcome to the club, you massive twat.
Yes. Um, <laughs> to be yeah. fair, Rich, Rich is currently <laughs> yeah. the only posh jack dude. We need another one. Yeah. How much do you bench? <laughs> What's have left with this? Is it uh, more than Rich less, or less, less than? Less than Rich. Oh, God. Oh. <laughs> 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 Wait, I was nervous for a moment there. I was nervous. In my, my defence, in my defence, I have just finished rowing seven marathons, so give it a week and we'll see. Rich, how far uh, do you yeah, row? Yeah, 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 yeah. See, this is what you get for doing cardio. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, think the gym, I think the gym tracks are like a, a charity thing like that. Should we all do something like that? Seven marathons in, I don't know, eight, eight years? The gym twats charity challenge. Yeah. Can we invite Aaron back on in four weeks' time and see how much he's increased his bench by and whether he's beating <laughs> This is Rich. your next goal. Screw yeah. the vertical jump. Absolutely screw the vertical jump. This is your next goal now. No, no Rich, 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 Rich outlifts me every day. I can tell you that for sure. Oh, so I didn't quite catch that. Say again. You cut so it out. Rich, Rich, <laughs> uh, Rich has suddenly left the podcast. We do not know why. <laughs> you can, you, Rich is going to record that, isn't he? <laughs> There you go. There's, there's a testimonial for you, Rich. You are. <laughs> I'm just going to mute Aaron. <laughs> I'm glad we got there before we ended. <laughs> Rich doesn't need a bigger head. No, I really don't. No, he really actually, doesn't. Um, um, when I actually went to go buy some sunglasses, I uh, went to one of these huge like sunglasses place, um, and within the entire shop and their entire stock, only three pairs fit my head. Good. And that will give you some idea of how planet-sized <laughs> Easter Island my head is. And I say this is the reason why I have to stay above 100 kilos, because otherwise I will fall out of ratio with my head. And it's the only way I don't look like a human lollipop. What my, my fiance says, when I like start losing a couple of kilos here or there, she starts feeding me ice cream. She, she's like, you're looking like a lollipop. Yeah. Just you, start, you start running and tipping forward. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah. When I was having like a 22-inch neck, I think, like peak weight days, I'm pretty sure it was just to support my head. Since then, I've managed to balance it a little bit more. But yeah, usually, usually out here. Um, yeah. So we also have that in common, Rich. God, look how, look how much... best mates. Look at those. <laughs> We love weights. We've got fucking big blockheads. Yeah. Guys, you're going to chat. Imagine that in a movement screening. Your head's quite big. That's going to throw you off balance. Yeah. <laughs> got forward, forward head posture. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Cool, cool, cool. Well, thanks for having me, Jess. Yeah. Um, Absolute pleasure. I don't want to chat any longer. Um, Thank you. Talk to you. That's it, yeah.